Welcome to the Life Chapters podcast, Real Women, Real Stories. Hi, I'm Stacey, and I am super passionate about showing everyday women like you that they really do have a story to share. In my opinion, everyone deserves to be heard. And on this podcast, you will get to meet some pretty fabulous women who have amazing stories to tell. Some of the stories you hear might trigger you, but they're all spoken by the women who lived them. Some of them will make you smile, some of them might make you cry. chatting with the lovely Zoe. Zoe and I have known each other for a couple of years now and Zoe is a wellness coach and a happiness expert but she has this amazing way of mixing science and spirituality together. So Zoe, welcome to the podcast. Um, Tell us a little about why you do what you do. Oh my story is quite a long one. So I started my journey when my son who's now a teenager was very tiny and on his second birthday was diagnosed with a genetic chromosome disorder and which is called fragile x syndrome. He inherited it from me. So you think you've got mum guilt about anything. This is uh, (laughs) this was huge Um, and it kind of derailed me for a bit, derailed our whole family, because the life that we planned with our two beautiful children wasn't actually going to be feasible, given the limitations and the picture that the medical profession painted for us was really bleak for his future. And I was pretty much heartbroken, but I felt like I couldn't be heartbroken because I'm his mum and I've got to step up and I've got to fight everybody who puts limitations on him. And I completely suppressed all my actual emotions and just carried on with a brave face, completely not matching on the outside what was going on on the inside. And a few years later, uh, we were kind of recovering for this. We sort of changed direction. We'd started to change our lives and realised that actually this is the life we have, we, we can't change it, so we might as well make the best of it. Um, and a few years later, my husband hit a proper mental health crisis point, and he'd pretty much been doing the same as me. So he'd put a brave face on all his emotions as well. So I thought he was okay. And as well as dealing with our son's diagnosis, he was in job roles that involved an awful lot of trauma. And there's only so much trauma that the human person can experience without there being some kind of outlet. And because we were both so good at masking our emotions, neither of us knew what the other one was going to. It was a huge mess. And it nearly broke us. It nearly broke us as individual peoples and it nearly broke us as a family. Um, And when we stripped everything back, we had to be really, really honest with ourselves. We had to be really honest with each other. He had a lot of very intensive um, therapy and support. And we realised we need to communicate better. We need to decide what's important for us as individuals and for us as a family and for us as a couple. And we needed to be brutally honest with each other all the time. We needed to do better with our communication. (laughs) And so when you sort of say to someone, how are you feeling today? And they say, fine. We're like, I need more. fine is not a description no how fine is fine are we good fine do you need anything and on the bad days when you kind of say yeah I'm not fine today what do you need and to be able to express what will help was was really massive for us and so while it took us therapy and all this kind of stuff to see that this is what we needed our son who was the one who we were told had all the limitations was demonstrating perfectly 
who we needed to be in order to recover. He was being completely himself. He's completely honest. He doesn't compare himself with anybody else. He experiences the world in the moment all the time, doesn't worry about the future, doesn't really, isn't really aware of the past. And we were like, wow, we've had this greatest teacher, this greatest gift given to us as a blessing. And it was there all the time and we missed it. So <laughs> what we realized was that our happiness wasn't passive. It wasn't like we'll be happy when, you know, we'll be happy when we pay off the mortgage. We'll be happy when we can retire from these jobs that are grinding us down. We'll be happy when we can leave this profession or whatever it is. And that we actually had to take an active role in our own happiness and the happiness as a family. And that's when things started to change. So that's when I started retraining from a job I was getting stale in. Um, we prioritize relationships with our friends, with our family. And we look very carefully now at where we're investing our time and our energy and really promoting and doing the things that bring us happiness. And that's, that's what I encourage in my clients. It's like, who are you? And what do you want? <laughs> and if you you need if you're not clear on those things, then come and <laughs> come and talk. We need to do the work because lots of people don't really know what they want. Um, and how did how did you find other people reacted to your situation? Because it's one thing for you guys to go on that journey yourselves. Did you had do you find it had a knock on effect to other people? Yeah, it really did because when I first started telling people what was going on in the background for me, because they were used to seeing Happy Zoe with a brave face on. <clears throat> and assuming nothing was nothing ever phased me like things could be completely falling apart at work, and I'd be like it's fine because by comparison to some of the stuff I had going on at home it was uh, this wasn't a big deal so when I started to say to people it made them uncomfortable to start with whether I was started being honest about do you know my husband is currently in a psychiatric hospital receiving inpatient treatment and they were like whoa and then when I would explain to them what my son's condition entailed they would always say things like I don't know how you do it and that's kind of a it's a, it's a double-edged sword isn't it because you're like that well it's not like I had a choice like I have to do this thing I, I'm this kid's mom I love him to bits this, this is what you do but actually it's not awful what would you do you know like it's I can get busy being depressed and sad about my situation or I can see the joy and squeeze the happiness out of each moment that I have that's a blessing and the choice is mine the choice always exists and the choice is mine and um my background um as you know is in is in science so I was a sports scientist looking at the physiology and the, and the psychology of performance and my my expertise is in looking at fear and how we deal with fear and what I've realized through this journey is that on the other end of fear, that the, the, you know, I was looking at people becoming fearless and people becoming brave. And I thought that was the answer to overcoming fear. And what I realized is that the one force that's hugely superior to fear and will always squash it is love because it works on the opposite system in our nervous system. So this is the superpower. This is the only thing. And as I leaned into that and started expressing it, um, Lots of people around me actually realized that I was changing and that they wanted a similar sort of change. So when, you know, like we would come into the office and people would say, oh, how are you feeling today? And lots of people would say things like, yeah, I'm all right. Or mustn't grumble. <laughs> and I'd come into the office and they'd say, oh, how are you doing today? Like, I'm brilliant today. It's fabulous. I get to live another day. And, <laughs> you know, I'd be like, oh, God, here she goes. Um, and I started becoming able to be more myself 
and speak openly about the subjects I was passionate about. So I'm a massive feminist. I believe that women and girls have a, you know, they shouldn't have to put up with some of the stuff they have to. And I'm really open about it. So I worked in a team where um, it was public services and sports. So people would talk about firemen and policemen. And I'd say, excuse me, they're firefighters and police officers because women can do it too. And people would be like, oh, here she goes again. (laughs) I was like, no, it's important. These things are important. And I got very comfortable at speaking my heart and speaking my truth. And that, I think, had a massive impact on other people um, because people could see it being modelled for them. And that's, I think, when other people in the in the job that I used to be in started to change as well. Um, I don't think our line manager appreciated it, but <laughs> lots of people in our team were much happier to sort of to speak their truth as well, because it was almost like by doing it, I gave them permission. So tell me more about what has changed sort of in the that you talk you're talking there about being in a job and working for a line manager. So how has that changed? So as I became really honest with myself and my husband and we'd have to say to each other you know how are you feeling and in order to do that you can't just bounce a reply you actually have to feel into your physical body and say how am I feeling because feeling is something we do with our body not with our brain so when you think how am I feeling you actually have to take a moment and and drop inside and what I realized was as much as I loved the teaching profession that I was in it was becoming as I became more true to my own values and who I really was and and recognized her more I realized that I was being taken further and further away from that and the more I fell into it when I checked in with myself every day I realized this isn't who I want to be this isn't who I really am and I kind of made the decision that I I could do one of two things again the choice that always exists I could stay in that profession and not be my authentic self or I could be myself and choose a different route and that's the one that when I fell into what those choices felt like that's the one I wanted to do um and I think that we talk about leaning like people say I lead with my head or I lead with my heart and yeah while those two might tussle it out there's one factor that we should always listen to and that's our gut and I really think that if we go with our gut feeling it won't often steer us wrong because that's what our real feeling is um so it doesn't filter through layers of experience and ideas and the shoulds that we're culturally trained to have and all that kind of stuff yeah our gut just tells us and if we once we're good at listening to that and not thinking everything's got to be done by our head and our very clever thinking brain then we get to our own truth and that that becomes much easier so once I decided that's what I wanted to do the rest was just tenacity it was like get the training invest in the business support, invest in storytelling training, invest in all of the other things that I needed in order to do this. Because I was like, well, I'm probably capable. I just don't know how to do it yet. So I had to learn. And so sort of for the two years that we've known each other, I've been on this particular pathway. And now to not have an employer and be completely myself, I'm just, my heart is... (laughs) It's heavenly. It just feels amazing. Um, And yeah, and I can be my completely true self and I can coach in the way that I feel is most authentic. I can sit with my clients in their pain and authentically support them through it, knowing that I've been there in the depths of, you know, feeling like my world was crumbling around me, like my heart had been broken. I didn't think I could survive it. And yet, here I am, the happiest I've ever been in my 40s. 
Um, so it's it's all to play for, and sometimes we just need someone to hold our hand and sit with us and, and guide us through. And that's really what I want to help other women with now, because I know that 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 path exists. And sometimes you just need someone who knows the way to show you. And that's what I want to do now. And you certainly are infectiously happy. So it's <laughs> it's fabulous to chat with you more about it. But tell me something. Was there ever a moment in making those decisions? Did you ever feel scared? Um, yes, but I like feeling scared because I'm a, <laughs> I'm a fear expert, Stacey. So I... I quite like experiencing my area of expertise. Um, but when you when you realize that fear is just information and that the, the information that gives you fear, it's the same information as excitement. The only difference is how you choose to interpret it. And if you interpret that sensation as excitement, you get a different chemical response than if you interpret it as fear. So if you interpret that feeling as fear, you get uh, sort of cortisol, which is our stress hormone, and it feels very stressful, and then things become difficult. But if we interpret that sensation as excitement, we get a hit of dopamine, which is our little happy hormone, our little endorphin that makes us feel excited and, and happy. Um, and so it, it, it's, it turns it into fuel. And again, it's just learning how to leverage your nervous system to your advantage, really, because... It's just, we are, you know, on a, on a sort of physical level, it's all just nerves and electricity and chemicals um, and all of those feelings are. And I've always just had a sense, and this is the spirituality where they mix, just always had a sense I'm going to be okay. And I kind of look back over some of the things that at the time felt awful and I know that I survived them. And I look at other people, you know, I, I look at you and your story and I look at other people and their stories and I realise that, yeah, sometimes awful things happen and sometimes we are really you know challenged by them but we're all still here and yeah. again we have a choice as to as to how we want to live after that so yeah I do I quite like the fear it, it just means that I'm pushing my boundaries and uh pushing my comfort zone and I think the bigger you make your comfort zone the more things you include in it um the easier life is the more opportunity you open up for yourself there is a life quote that I stand on, which is that we've not been tested beyond what we can't endure. So yes, we've all been tested. Yes, we go through the hard times and some of them are traumatic and painful. And yeah, we really do want to curl up into a ball and, and cry, but we still wake up the next morning and we can still put one foot in front of the other. So yeah, I, I resonate hugely with that. What message would you like to leave my audience? We, we've spoken about, about fear. We've spoken about happiness. What is it that you'd like to say to my audience? Well, I think that for a long time, I was sort of given the information that life is short and that you should do, you know, do as much with it um, as you can. And what I found was while I was feeling that life was short, I was rushing through it because it's like I had to fit everything in. And what I actually realized, it doesn't matter how long it is, it's that it's really precious. And when I nearly lost my husband, that's what I felt. I felt like this life is a, such a precious thing. that We've really got to live it, whether that's as fast or as slowly or in our own complete way. So it was the preciousness of life that was really important. And also that like our happiness isn't a reward for a lifetime of hard work. It's our natural state of being. Like if everything is leveled out we resort to a happy place 
So Ooh, now that's that's a really interesting thought because we we're conditioned, I think, to to think that when you do something, you'll get a reward. When you when you put effort in, you'll get something out. But you're busting that myth. Yeah, I'm totally busting the myth. Yeah, our default. Look at kids, right? Kids don't come into the world with these expectations that we are indoctrinated in if you like as we go through becoming employees or you know the whole of school teaches us we have to do this well so that we can get a good job and be a good employee and all this kind of stuff but before they start school kids are really happy um they're completely themselves and their their default position is happiness they smile you know one of the first things a, a baby does in response to its parent is smile back at it um we have this neurology that looks for happiness and even if you were looking at a um, a crowd full of people and you you were looking for the one person smiling that has a positive effect on your own happiness just looking for the joy increases your happiness so if you go through life looking for the joy that's what you'll see if you go through the life looking for the ju- the drudgery <laughs> That's what you'll see and that's what you'll become more of. So, yeah, our natural state of being is to avoid pain and to seek pleasure. And so it's okay, You know, it's okay to prioritize your own happiness. It's okay to be happy. It's okay when people say, how are you today? To say, do you know what? I'm really happy and I'm blessed and I feel grateful for all the wonderful gifts that I have in my life. That's okay, And I think we need to see more of that than than feeling like the response should be. Oh, yeah, mustn't grumble. It kind of <laughs> just changes how we are. And I think as well, I have this idea in my head of like um, like a bank account of happiness. Like we can invest in our finances and we have, you know, have financial advisors and people like that that tell us how we should plan for our pension and things like that. But I think if we use that metaphor in terms of our joy levels and our happiness, we have to kind of invest in our bank account so that we've got lots of small inputs which might be going out for coffee with your friends. It might be going to do yoga and have a swim on the beach in the morning. It might be doing any whatever it is that brings you pleasure. So that if you have something that draws on your emotions, um, you can buffer it. You've got enough in there. And you, you also know how to find your way back to happiness. Because I think we can cope with those difficult times knowing there's a happiness to get back to. And that's when we still have hope. And it's when we feel hopeless that that we really are in trouble. And I think that make, knowing how to make those investments and look after your happiness wealth, if you like, your emotional wealth is really, really important. And I think that's what we should be sharing with other people. And that's what we should be telling our children to to prioritize. Um, and I think that, that as human beings, we're wired for connection. You know, we are happy. We're a social species. We're happy when we're together. And that includes physical touch, which is why, you know, isolation and loneliness physically kill people and why happiness, having a happy life can add between nine and 10 years onto your life. So being physically connected, touching people, hugging people, you know, those things really make a difference. So investing includes investing in those relationships because that's really where our joy is. People are not happy on their own. That's quite a stark statistic that, you can gain years on your life the more you top up your happiness bank. I think we'll all be doing that now. Oh, no. And I love the metaphor. <laughs> I love the metaphor. It's so simple to think of it. We 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 get tied up with finances. We always check our bank account. You're in the black, you're in the red. 
but actually we can do the same with our happiness levels. It's such a simple concept. Thank you for sharing that because I think everybody needs to have a happiness bank that we add into every single day. Yeah, absolutely. Do one thing every day that brings you joy. I think you'll notice the benefit really quickly. Zoe, I asked you when we were preparing for this, if you had a life quote or a verse or a scripture that you wanted to share with my audience. Can you tell us what it is? Yeah, so my quote that I always come back to is accredited to President Theodore Roosevelt. And he said that comparison is the thief of joy. And Mark Twain took it even further and he said, comparison is the death of joy. So unlike with our financial wealth, where we can look at someone else and see they've got a bigger house or a better car or newer clothes and all the rest of it. Our happiness isn't there for comparison. Just, you know, don't compare your happiness with anyone else. You just go after your own because the beauty of it is there's no limited amount. We can all be abundant in happiness. We can all be abundant in joy. And, uh, and we don't need to compare ourselves to anybody else if we're just looking after ourselves. Our increased joy doesn't take it away from anybody else. It's not a big pie, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. I think that's, that's so true. And my version of happiness looks like a murder mystery book curled up in front of the fire with a hot chocolate in my hand. Your version of happiness sounds like beach yoga at 6am. <laughs> and it doesn't matter that we have different ideas. We can still add to the happiness in our own bank. Absolutely. And I think knowing what makes you happy is really important. Um, and that, I think, is something that, that um, people can take away with them is actually being really clear on what are the things that I love to do. And if you and very often we get so caught up in the day to day that we put the things that we really enjoy last and I'll do those things when I'm really tired and spent and we don't actually prioritize them. But actually, I'm better for my family and I'm better for everybody around me if I'm happier and you can't pour from an empty cup. So you have to. And it's like when the the, you know, the plane is, is going to crash. They, the, the oxygen masks fall down. They say, put your own on before you put someone else's on, don't they? So we have to do this for ourselves. We can't rely on somebody else to make us happy. It's something we only we can do for ourselves. And, and we should never feel bad about doing that. And that is such a profound message. Thank you so much for sharing it. Where can my audience find you, my dear? Whereabouts are you? So they can find me on Facebook, where I am, Zoe Carroll. Um, life coach and the kindness ambassador. They can find me on Instagram. I'm Zoe Carroll Coach, and they can find me on my website, zoecarroll.com. And on my website, they can find information about my Wholehearted Happiness Club, which is where I share all of the wisdom about how to become the happiest version of yourself that's possible. And I am a huge advocate for the Happiness Club, being a founding member, and I thoroughly enjoy the lessons that Zoe teaches me. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate it. That, that happiness bank, I think, is going to stick with me for a long time. Thank you ever so much, Zoe. And listen in to the next episode, folks, when I'll be interviewing another great inspirational woman. Thank you, Stace. What a powerful story. If you want more information about my guest or their story, check out the show notes. All the details are there. I would love to know what you think about this episode. Head over to Instagram at the Life Chapters Pod and tell me what you think. I really would love to know. And if you have a story to share and you want to do it here on the Life Chapters podcast, please get in touch. My door's always open and I would love to give you the platform to share your story. Mm -hmm.